So I want to take it one step further. I call it FBI. So it's it's feature, benefit, incentive. What is my incentive for buying that one terabyte hard drive? And and you can't know that unless you ask me first what's important to me. So you can ask in the very beginning. I have a model for that. I call it no show go. And that's why I teach people. So first you need to know, and then you can show. Not before. You shouldn't show first. You should know first, and then you can show. And then you need like this. Sales is a transfer of positive energy. And that when you get something that's really good customer experience, like something that blows you away, everywhere else you go is now competing with that customer service or customer experience that you got from the last place that you went. One of the most important facets of any business is customer service. In business, you are not only selling a product or a service, but an experience. Providing exceptional customer service and developing real relationships with your clients means increased sales, retain customers, new customers via word of mouth, and a positive reputation. You're listening to the Focus on Customer Experience podcast. podcast. Benjamin Del Grosso gives you the ins and outs of one of the most underlooked aspects in business today. Improve your customer service and watch your business skyrocket. Two, one. Now, here's your host, Benjamin Del Grosso. Hello and welcome to the show. Today we have... Anthony, he's here from Sweden. He's a workplace communication expert. And uh, we brought him onto the show so we can have a nice open discussion about workplace communication, customer service, and etc. So why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Hi. Hi. Thank you. Where, where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> When you were a little boy, I have been in the <laughs> service industry from from a lot uh, since since long back. I, I'm I'm thinking like way back, at least to my high school years when I started at McDonald's and, and just stood there in front of all the customers, you know, helping them to get their food. And and also when we have something in, in something we, in Sweden we have something called the the we call it the Christmas table. It's like a buffet, a Christmas buffet. You go to hotel or restaurants and do that. And then I was that little elf who went around to pick up you know empty empty plates and then brought back new things to the to to this buffet. Uh, and also there, just just realizing you know how how you can make people feel good or bad based on your behavior. I think that's where it started, actually. Uh, this is a long time ago, again, in my high school years. Uh, but ever since I, I started to to work properly after military service, I, I, I went into sales. Uh, first, I was working in a store selling office supplies. And again, just getting that uh, feel for, for um, human relationships. And then I went on to, to other types of sales and marketing and so on and and I left the corporate career back in 2006 to start my own company. And I've been coaching leaders and teams uh, around the world ever since. And I noticed that some people are really good at creating this great atmosphere internally and how that kind of spills over, have, have this positive side effect to our external communication to our customers as well. Like that, that's like a clear link between those two. But then I also see some who really struggle with 
too low engagement uh, why aren't they as passionate as i am or all the misunderstandings going on which creates irritation and frustration and even conflict sometimes and, and my job uh, as the workplace communication expert is to help leaders lead and help uh, you know anyone serve a client for instance and, and help colleagues collaborate better uh, and i call all of that workplace communication so that's kind of the the short version of that it's all good yeah no i mean you know and i think even as we grow as people you have to start developing like a better understanding especially if you want to be an expert in this field uh, whether or not somebody is like a uh, an introvert or an extrovert, or maybe there's somebody who's kind of like a, a mix of both. Cause I, I would say I'm kind of a, a, a mix of both myself. Sometimes I just really want to keep to myself and I, I don't want to socialize. And then the other part of me, you know, wants to get on this podcast and have tons of great conversations with people. But is that something that you kind of use with your analysis is how to communicate to all the different, um, uh, different communication communicators, I guess, out there. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and I think that the, the the real name for that is ambivert. When you both and I, and I can resonate with that. I, I'm the same. I have the office uh, where I'm right right, right now. Uh, I have no employees myself. I, I have a lot of consultants I can pay for, but I don't have any employees. So yes, from time to time, I'm I'm by myself. I don't feel alone. I, I don't feel lonely, but I'm alone sometimes, which is which is fine. Yeah, you know, it's about curiosity, having the mental attitude towards people to really be curious and, and and realizing that everyone is not like you. So the whole saying about behave, you know, you should you should treat people the way that you want to be treated is not necessarily true when it comes to communication. You should probably communicate the way they want to be communicated with. So if you have somebody who is uh uh, let's say uh, an authority who want to take charge, who want to decide. Well, you know, why not let them? You know, ask some questions instead of telling them what to do, because then you will rain on their parade and they will not be happy. So just being curious about you know who you have in front of you will help you when you then communicate with them. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be yourself. You should still be yourself, but you know there are a lot of yourself. I don't know about you, but I can be really grumpy. I can be tired. I can be angry. I don't want to show that side, not to you or anyone uh, for that matter, but sometimes I do. Uh, and actually the ones that suffer most are probably the closest ones because they see all of me. But but I, I do want to be myself plus 10% or something, especially when I'm out there in my work life. Uh, meeting clients or or other type of colleagues and so on yeah i think i think it's important to be your authentic self right and to communicate with people to make them feel comfortable right and i don't believe in high pressure sales you know there's a lot of people who focus on high pressure sales it's like you know i got them on the phone and it's $400, take it or leave it. Because if, if not, once you hang up that phone, it's going to be 450 because someone else is going to be calling for it, you know? So $400, yes or no? And like, I don't know, like I I don't really do that whole thing. I don't like that. I find it's too yeah. high pressure. You know, there's a lot of people who, you know, I want to do research. You know, I want to I talk to my wife or husband or whoever. And and I I believe that, 
you should allow them to do that. Allow them to make their own decisions on that. I, I don't know if you have a different opinion on that or not, but in terms of communication or... You know, what I teach when it comes to, to decision styles is that if you have somebody who is, as I said before, uh, very decisive, well, let them just ask them questions instead. What is your opinion? What is your decision? What do you want to do now? If you have somebody who says, I need more time, of course, you should give them time. But you should also ask for some sort of commitment, which is, for instance, no problem. How much time do you need? When can I come back to you? That is not very aggressive. It's just, you know, showing that we're still on. Yeah, no, that's so, so a that's good... the difference, right? Uh, when it comes there's to lots of power. Part, the pressure. Yeah, yeah, there is a lot of power there. Yeah. In follow up. Sorry, I was just gonna say a lot of power in follow up, not to cut you off. Sorry. No, no problem. Uh, I was just thinking about what you said also about the pressure sales. That that that's about uh, the psychology of scarcity. So so there is and I understand why some people use that because there is uh, something about scarcity. If you know that if I don't take this, this goes away you will be inclined to buy it. I don't use it uh, either, just like you. But if it is true, for instance, I just had this conversation with a with a potential client who wants to book me, and we talked about that, and I said to her, and this was completely true. I said, you know, you want me on the 28th of, uh, in this case, September. And, and you already know that I have another client saying that that they want me to. So, so I need you to make a decision because I don't want to lose out on both of them because then I can serve no one. And by the way, I need to travel on the 27th and, and I actually have another uh, customer uh, at that date who wants to, to book me as well. But you are first. I promised you that you, since you asked me first, you are the one, but now it's time to make a decision. And And if I was faking it, then I wouldn't be authentic and then I wouldn't live with myself. I don't like that. But in this case, it was absolutely true. And it came after a while. We had we had a conversation for like half an hour first. And at that point, we felt that we, we trusted each other. We already established trust. Uh, we we kind of liked each other. It was good. You know, we had a good conversation going. They, they understood me. They, they knew that I could help them. I felt good about them as well. And at that point, I said, you know what? I just want to be very open with you. This is the situation we're in. So... Do you want me to come to you? And then say yes. So then, I, okay, then I will uh, tell the other ones that we have to find other dates for them. So, so it does happen even for me, but but I don't want to do it. And it and it can't be the first thing I say because then it's just, again, pressure sales. And I don't like that either. Yeah, no, I don't like that. So tell us about the three communication superpowers. I'm very interested in this. Mm -hmm. All right. The uh, the number one, and for me also the priority number one superpower is empathy. Empathy so that my colleague or my client uh, feel that I understand them. Uh, recognize the fact that I'm present, that I'm curious, that I'm thoughtful, that I'm considerate. I care about them. That is empathy. So that is about being interested rather than interesting. And Unless you have empathy, how can you how can you make sure that you understand what they really need? How can you then make sure that you communicate to them in the right way so that you can help them? So for me, empathy is number one. The second one is, and then the, the other two comes close second, so they're both like on the same level. The second one is clarity, so that they understand you. And for me, that is to make people feel smart. 
by not complicating it with a lot of acronyms that people don't understand or buzzwords that you know because that's in your lingo and they don't get it and you just make them feel stupid. Clarity is mostly about taking away rather than adding things. And, you know, I'm in the corporate world as well, uh, talking to all these big clients, uh, you know, and they they just dilute their messages with with bad PowerPoints, for instance. You know, it's it's just ridiculous how much PowerPoint you can see in, in a day if you're in that corporate world. And also, if you're out in, in let's say that you're in a in a store, you want to buy a new TV. Yeah. And then you get all those buzz, you know, technical specs from from a salesperson. And it's about pixels, and it's about hertz, and it's about this and that. And and I just want a nice, I just want a nice picture. I just want a good sound, you know. And that's me. But then you might have another one who really want to know how many pixels there are and, and how, uh, what the clock frequency is and all that. Fine, but you have to have empathy first. That's why I'm saying you you first need to understand before you can make yourself understood. Uh, so the second one is is uh, clarity, and there's a lot of good techniques you can use when it comes to clarity, like like uh, the rule of three, for instance. If you want people to remember, say things in three, they will get it. Like blood, sweat, and tears, or vene vidivici. That's just one of of many different ways of making people remember what you say. So I have a number of memory hacks uh, that I gladly share with your audience if they want it. And then the third superpower is energy energy so that they f- they can believe that you believe that you're passionate that you're convinced about whatever it is you, you talk about because why should they believe if you don't seem to believe and that's a lot about uh, nonverbal communication now we talk about body language we talk about voice we talk about the way you lean forward the way you nod the way you use your arms the way you make eye contact the way you use dynamic voice, you know, your voice being dynamic when it comes to volume or pitch or tempo and things like that. All of those will help the other person or or ruin the experience if it's just like a flat line, for instance. And yeah. you don't seem to care yourself. Why should why should I why should I buy anything from you when you don't even seem to care? And that's for me is energy. Energy is like a magnet. If you if you have it, you're a magnet. People people are drawn into you. On the other hand, if you're really listening, if you give them the biggest gift you have, which is your time and your attention, they will also be drawn to you because you give them something invaluable. So, so all of those three are superpowers. For me, they comes in the order of empathy first so that you can understand them. If you can understand them, now you can tailor or nail down a message, which is the clarity part of it, and then you can deliver it with the right amount, the right type of energy and tonality. Yeah. So those are the three. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, I was just going to kind of say a couple different things. One, uh, yeah. when you talk about clarity, I think of, uh, I, well, I don't know. I mean, I know you're over in Europe, so I don't know if you've seen the American version of The Office with Steve Carell, but they, they had this one episode where the, he goes, uh, explain it to me. And they 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 explain it to him. He's like, okay, um, explain it to me like I'm a five year old, right? <laughs> and I mean, and I know 
sometimes when you're getting into like the tech specs, because I'll do it myself too. I'm like, you know, this camera has 2K resolution. It has HDR. It has Sony Starvis. And, and I'll say that to people. And for some people, I know they like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. I want that. I want the new technology. Right. So what I've, what I used to do is I used to just say those tech specs. But then I found that didn't go everywhere with everybody. Everybody was different. So then I had to break it down. It has Sony Starvis. What that means to you, because I don't know if they know already and done their research. It means it's going to work better in lower light. It's going to be more accurate, right? So then, oh, okay, that's important to me. I want that, right? So now I'm giving two different ways of communicating what that does for them, right? Mm -hmm. Here's here's the feature. Here's the benefits, right? So I'm trying to give that that information. But the other thing too is I know I'm bringing up tech specs and you know pixels and all that kind of junk, right? Is which is good for some people, yeah. Yeah, no, it is good for some people. But here's the thing: if I say a word like OEM, does that mean anything to you? Out of curiosity, original equipment manufacturer. So you know what it is. But do you know how many times people in my industry say, "Well, you know, that's what the OEMs have," and people go. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, do you know what that means? Majority of people actually have no idea that that is like a, a an industry term, right? So most people are like, think OEM, uh, they don't know what it is. Right. So you have to explain it. No, to them. So that's so, one of those uh, buzz, yeah. buzzwords or in this case, acronym, a case acronyms that that people just throw around yeah. like, like it's common knowledge and it's not. And then you make people feel stupid and then, then they be, become insecure and, and then you have all sorts of, of problems with that. There's a couple of things when you said that, that I want to touch upon. One is yeah, awesome. features and benefits, right? So, so it is good to just go from features to benefits, understand, okay, this has, uh, um, this has a one terabyte hard drive. Yeah. Okay. That that says nothing. Well, what that means is that you can store all your video recordings that you that you will do for the next year. Uh, okay, that, that might be good, but it's still only a benefit. It could be uh, of value to me, or it might not be of value to me because depend it depends on my own use case in that case. So so I want to take it one step further. I call it FBI. So it's it's feature benefit incentive what is my incentive for buying that one terabyte hard drive and and you can't know that unless you ask me first what's important to me uh, and what i feel that some people miss out and now we're more perhaps more into pure sales than, than, than customer service but what i feel that some people <laughs> miss out is that is that they they've learned the whole features and benefit thing but they don't know that they first need to find out what the problem is like one sales trainer I listened to at one point, it was just, it was, I was, I was astonished by the way he, he explained it. He said, he said to the audience, you know what you do? You say that product A can deliver this. And if the client says, well, that's not interesting for me, then you just say, well, product A can also deliver this. And then he went on and finally they will say, oh, that's interesting. And now you got them by the hook. And I'm thinking, what a useless advice that is. You have done two things when that happened. One, you have made the product feel extremely expensive because you just listed five things the customer don't want, but they still have to pay for. And the second thing you've done is that you have just told them that I haven't listened to a word you've said. I haven't even asked you a question. I just 
bombard you with arguments for why you should buy it. And I hope that something sticks. And again, empathy comes first. Unless yeah. you are interested in finding out what the real dreams you have or opportunities you're seeking or whatever it is. Yeah, you know what? We, we're, in, we're, on a, we're on a podcast, but right now I see a book in, in his hand, Benjamin's hand, a very famous one. Start with why. And that's exactly what you're talking about. And that's usually how I start uh, my conversations in, in the sales process with customer service is, why are you looking for a dash camera? And usually you find out, you know, my friend got into an accident or, you know, you start finding out all sorts of different reasons on why they're looking for it. And so that that kind of is the big thing. A lot of people don't. They just come in. Oh, you're looking for a TV. They don't ask why you're looking for a TV. They just go right into the tech specs. And then you're missing out on all that. that. So that empathy of finding out like, oh, the old TV broke down. Well, that sucks. What did you have before? Oh, we had a 50-inch yeah, TV. what was good TV. about it? What, yeah. what would you like more? And so on. There's yeah. a number, number of questions you can ask in the very beginning. I have a model for that. I call it no, show, go. And that's why I teach people. So first you need to know. And then you can show. Not before. You shouldn't show first. You should know first. And then you can show. And then you need to be brave and go that extra step to, to create some sort of commitment. If the customer has a need that you can fulfill and if they're interested. If they don't have it, then you you serve them best by not selling to them, which is also interesting to 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 talk to some some people who are kind of um, oh, always going in towards that whole. Oh, I don't know if I can be a salesperson. Well, you know, if you just look at it like that, you're serving them well by selling to them if they have if they have a need that you can fulfill. Yeah, but if they don't have a need, then you serve them best by by letting go. But you I need think, to find out first, you know, that's, that, and that's curiosity. You got to find out. I mean, you could find, you, you could be showing them some 55 inch TV and found out they had a 50 inch TV and it was far too big for their room and they wanted a smaller one. But if you didn't start with empathy or finding out why they're here or what they're looking for, you've already destroyed that rapport right out of the gate. Right, yeah. and you can you can almost see the disappointments in people's eyes sometimes. You know, when, you know, when you lose out on that. I've I've done my my share of mistakes. Oh my god! Oh yeah, and I've been to sales for thirty years in one way or another, and and I've I've completely lost it sometimes. I've just doing the wrong, giving the wrong examples, not being in tune with my clients. Uh, I've done so many mistakes myself, not listening well enough, all of those things. So so yeah, I and I still do sometimes, but I'm getting better at it at least. Which is yeah. good. So, yeah, have, but it's it's about the kind of that conscious consciousness again, you know, not going on autopilot all the time, but but really trying to be the best you again, authentic you, but the best you. Yeah, I want to talk about energy. The last one you were talking about, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, I would say early on in sales when I was giving customer service. So we're talking, you know, ninety eight to like. 2002 right people would ask me you know what do you think of the product oh it's good and i would kind of say it like that you know like yeah it's good you know we, we sold like 10 of them kind of thing right and you know oh okay you know i had like no energy i just i didn't you know somebody said something to me once and and it's really stuck with me for a long time and you might like this sales is a transfer of positive energy 
And, you know, if you are like saying, you know, this is, this is a great product. It's awesome. And this is what it's going to do to help you out. People are, oh, wow. Okay. It solved these challenges that I'm having. I want this product because, because that's, it's going to solve my problems, my challenges that I'm having. Right. But if you just say, you know, yeah, we, you know what, this is a popular product. We, you know, sold like 10 this week, you know, it's good. It goes for like 500 bucks. Like, how would yeah, you feel about that? Where's the passion? Where's, yeah, the, like to... where's, where's the commitment? Where's the, you know, whatever. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> You know, and, it's, and and the interesting thing is that sometimes it rubs off on the product because if you if you have said that this is an awesome product, I I highly recommend it. This is this is the one for you. I all the conversation we had, I really want you to buy this product. It, it's it's going to be good, and you, and they 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 feel you're not desperate, but they feel that you really care for them when they buy that product. It, that we kind of be part of the product more or less, right? It's like I remember I was in Shanghai once, and I went into this hole in the wall, like a tea store, and and I got this amazing experience where where this woman was was uh, uh, getting me a cup of tea. It took like ten minutes to get that cup of tea because it was supposed to be in a process. And she showed me, she showed me the leaves, and then she heated up one one can before, you know, pouring new water into it. It was like a almost like a show. And I bought this uh, bag of tea for the uh, probably the most expensive tea I've ever bought, but I. But I bought more than that. I bought the whole experience of her giving, you know, making me sure that I got the right kind of tea. And then you become happy, you know, because then, you know, it, it was part of the, again, it was part of the product. When I, when I drank that tea, then you're drinking tea. I remember her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and also the opposite can happen. You, you buy something and, and you really have to shake it off more or less because the salesperson was not very good. Like I live in a house, a villa house in, in south of Sweden. And I remember the real estate agent. He, was, he wasn't a very good person. I didn't like him. I really didn't like him. My wife didn't like him either. And we had to say to each other, you know, it's not his house we're buying. He's just a middleman. Let, let go of it. Let's let go of those negative emotions towards him. Uh, uh, you know, so so just remind this, this, this conversation with you reminded me of that right now. And uh, so, so now I'm back into this house thinking, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, there was that stupid man who sold it, but never mind. <laughs> I'm trying to just shake it off again. So yeah, it comes kind of with the product almost. If, if you're a good person and you have the, the, that type of service mentality, uh, it will be some sort of part of the package. Yeah. And what I was, uh, we were talking about off cameras. I was telling you that, when you get something that's really good customer experience, like something that blows you away, everywhere else you go is now competing with that customer service or customer experience that you got from the last place that you went. So if you went, you know, to Walmart, nobody greets you, you know, nobody, you know, you have to go and check out your own product you're looking for, I don't know, shaving cream and you can't find the shaving cream aisle and no one's there to help you. You're going to remember that you got like no service at all when you're in Walmart. You might not go there again. You might go somewhere where where maybe people are easily accessible so that when you're looking for something, you get service. Or maybe you'll just continue going to Walmart, whatever, right? Each to their own. But, yeah, but if you go somewhere, so important. Yeah. yeah, if you go somewhere and you're like wowed, 
Like everything they do just wows you. You're probably going to want to go back there over and over again or relive that experience over and over and over again if you can. But the problem is that everybody's competing with that high level of customer experience. So when you go to another place, they might feel they give really good customer service, but they may not realize they're competing with with the really good customer service that you got from somewhere else. And, you know, we both experienced it. And if we're observant, we find it everywhere. I, I, I remember trying to buy a car. I mean, a car is not a very cheap product. It's kind of one of those premium thing you buy in your life, right? You buy the, what is the most expensive thing a normal person buys? It's a house perhaps, and it's a car, you know, those are the things, right? And just trying to to get a salesperson out of their little cubicles to help me was impossible. I was at the same store three times because the, the first time I was just surprised, but the second and the third time I went there just to see, you know, will they come out of their boxes and <laughs> the glass cages? No, they didn't. I was there, you know, I was kicking the tire like, like a man who doesn't know anything about cars. I was opening all the doors. I went inside. I started to look at brochures. Nobody came out. And fi finally, I, I said, you know, you got three, I got three tries and, and you don't want to sell the car. So I'm going to buy this $60,000 car somewhere else instead. And I did. Uh, and so it's it's a lot of money on the table, and, and I'm there trying to buy a car, and they don't want to even want to talk to me. And, and and that's sometimes I'm thinking the bar is so low. If they would just go out and say hi, perhaps I would just buy the car. Here's here are true true stories also. I, 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 when I was when I was about twenty something years old, I just left the military service. I I needed to get a job. Or needed I wanted to get a job because I was bored. So I, I got a job in this this uh, store where I was supposed to sell office supplies and so on. And I remember going into the uh, to the interview. So I had to pass the store to the back of the room, and there was the corridor, and there was the sales manager. So I, I passed this. I said hi to the staff, the, the ones who I potentially should work with, and then I went into the to the sales manager, had my interview. And then I you know, came out of that one. I said goodbye to the people, and I went. And then, you know, I had to wait for for you know a call. Did I get the job or not? And I got the job. So I don't know how many people applied, but I got the job. And after like a month or so into the job, I asked the sales manager. You know, I had no I had no previous experience in this particular job. I just I'm I'm young. You know, why did you give me the job? And he said, "You were the only one who said hi to your colleagues now." The other ones just passed them, didn't even look at them, went into the sales manager. I was the only one who recognized their existence. You know, and then I think the bar is bloody low. You know, if that all you need to do is just recognize person's existence, then it's pretty low. And actually, this is so interesting because then I, I stayed there for a couple of years before I was uh, recruited to a new company from one of my old clients. I mean, from, from one of the companies who bought those office supply stuff. So they came to me and said, hey, I want you to work for us. We sell datacom stuff and we want to have you as a salesperson. And I said, I don't know anything about uh, hubs and routers and fiber optic technology. Why do you want me? Well, because you are the only one who says hi when we go into your store. Again, the bar is low. You know, <laughs> Be, Care about people. That's what I'm saying. Just care about people. You don't even have to know everything. If you know your stuff as well, if you know your products on the specs and all that, that's of course great. But if you if it doesn't matter if you know it, if you if you're ignorant or arrogant, oh, sorry, arrogant or just uh, don't care or don't even make eye contact or something like that, 
it's it's really it's really simple to just start to treat people as human beings look at them just yeah. look at them smile say hi if you're busy with another client look at them say hi i will be i'll be with you soon and then move on or something like that it, just, it doesn't have to be more than that in that case but we don't it's... do it I think that's great because this is the problem nowadays and is people literally so you 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 worked at a furniture store hmm okay and what was your average sales hmm okay and they're making all the decisions to hire you based on a piece of paper instead of hiring you based off of skills or finding out if your values align with their values in the company, right? So they seen something in you that you were doing something that either they were missing or something that they really valued, which was you saying hi. And to me, it's like a lost art nowadays because, you know, two and a half years ago, I had to quit my job and I got stuck in that whole, uh, you know, couldn't get a job because of the whole COVID shutdown or whatever thing, right? But people weren't even interviewing me. I was being judged 100% based on my resume, right? And it doesn't matter. You can write it 100 different ways. But if they don't even make the call, they don't even pick up the phone to find out, you know, who you are or bring you in, they don't know what you're capable of. It's just a piece of paper. I mean, and, yeah, yeah. and I'm guilty of this too. I've had how many times I've had people where I'm like, no automotive experience, throw it out. Right now I've made a whole big switch in the last two years where I'm hiring based off of values. I want to hire somebody who's motivated and I want to hire somebody who I can build. I want to build them into the organization. I want to train them to be part of the organization. And, and you want to find people that want to give good customer service. And I like, I still remember I was down in, in uh, Oregon, uh, which is in the States. We went to this Starbucks and this lady seeing we had kids, we just walked in. We actually didn't buy coffee. We already had coffee at another Starbucks earlier in the day. And, She's like, oh, do you do your kids want water? And we're like, um, sure. We're thinking, like, is she trying to charge us for this? Nope. She just took some tap water, cold water, you know, put some ice in there, made sure, just because, you know, it was hot outside. And she was just very, very nice and everything. And the whole time I'm thinking, if I had a business down there, I would hire that lady. Because everything she was doing was, was, we're like, oh, we're visiting from Canada. And she's like, oh. Where have you gone? Oh, you know, you should look at going here. You should look at going there, you know? And then we're telling her, hey, well, like, we really want a Starbucks cup from, from Morgan, but we can't find a store that has it. You know what? These stores here uh, typically usually have high stock of the Starbucks cups because we, we like to collect the Starbucks cups from all the different places in the world, right? So anyways, but she was just so friendly. But... You know, a lot of times you go into the coffee shop and it's all about the transaction. It's all about, okay, getting the three bucks, the five bucks or whatever it is for your coffee. And if you're not spending money with them, they have no interest in interacting with you. And I was like, is she the, like in my head, I'm thinking, is she the manager or what? Like, 
what has instilled these gifts into this person? Was it the way she was raised? Is it the, the people she's hung out with? It makes you wonder. But I mean, in my head, all I was thinking was if I had a business there, I would find a way to hire her. E- even mm. if even if she was just the door greeter and whatever my business was, because the way her personality or energy and everything was just awesome. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then you call her the director of first impressions or something like that. The director, <laughs> director of yeah. Customer experience. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, I know, uh, I know we're uh, getting down at time. Uh, I don't know if you still have a few minutes or not, but uh are you, are you sure. good for another question or? Yeah, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> so let's let's do this. Um, you say that people are like popcorn. What do you mean? This is uh, this is such a great metaphor, and I got it from one of my LinkedIn buddies, uh, Helen Lidstrom. She wrote a book ten years ago about uh, Microsoft and the workplace of Microsoft, and in that she coined. Uh, an expression saying that uh, talking about popcorn people and and it's just so phenomenal that i that i they took a spin on it in, in my own keynotes when i'm out uh, presenting as well so so here here's what it is uh, think of think of people employees as corn in a microwave popcorn bag and you need basically two things to make uh, make these corn pop you need time uh, in my micro, it takes two minutes, and you need energy, or warmth, or love, or whatever you want to call it. You need energy, and it—I uh, think it's 800 watts or something on, on in my particular microwave. And then you might need some grease as well inside. But you know, those are the things you need. And what happens is that after 20 seconds or so, the first corns start to pop, and those. Those are the really engaged people. Those are the highly motivated people. Those are the ones saying, come on, let's do this. Let's pop. Let's go this way. And then after a while comes the rest of the bag. Pa, 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 pa. It's just everything. You know. And then you you have some, some latecomers like poof, poof, poof at the very end. And then it's it. You know, Two minutes is gone. You take out the bag. You put it in your, your, your bowl. And you have a nice bag of popcorn. But if you look at the bottom of this bag, or in, in this bowl, sorry, you will have some bloody corn who refuses to pop. I'm not going to pop. Why should I pop? Let Stephen pop instead. Oh, so you let Mary pop before me. Now I'm definitely not going to pop. And you have all those people who, who don't want to pop, you know, basically. So you can, you, can relate, you can kind of relate people to popcorn from that perspective. And it's pretty interesting because, again, it's not my uh, analogy, my, my uh, metaphor. It's, it's Helen's. But I love it so much that I, that I want to spread the word for her and for everyone. And I remember being at one municipality at one time when I when I told that particular one. And I, and I also link it to Gallup many times and, and their employee engagement studies. When you have highly or actively engaged people, those are the corns who pop first. And they have actively disengaged people, people who are saboteurs. And those are the ones who refuse it to pop, basically. And then you have the rest in the middle. So, so by, by using that, I went to this municipality. I, I told that short, that, that takes like two minutes to tell that story, basically. And then after the, 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 the lecture, I, I went to my, I, I, said, I said, thank you, I left. And then the organizer, the, the person who hired me, she, she came back to me and said that one woman in the audience went up to her afterwards and says, said, you know what, we need to talk. I don't pop here. And I found that so courageous of her 
to say that because she's really saying, you know, let's find a place for me where I can make use of my skills, uh, where I can feel motivated again, where I can be of value, where I can be of service. That's what she said. And the fact that she did that helps the organization also to find another place for her, if it's possible, or coach her to a new place outside. I don't know. Sometimes we're so scared of, of you know, because of course we we must we need to make a living, we need to pay the rent, we need to pay the mortgage, we need to, you know, feed our kids, whatever it is. So I I have total respect for that. But it's good to feel that you're actually popping wherever you are, that you feel that you you are in a place where you get attention, time, um, respect, trust, all of those things that make you pop. So that's yeah. the analogy. Yeah, and I guess it makes sense. I mean, it, it's it's crazy. I mean, so part of it, like talking about what that lady did at the end, um, I've been I'm a firm believer on building strengths-based organizations and you know i know a lot of people have different opinions on this than i do but i've always felt when i was running my when i used to run the store we'd have about you know six to eight technicians in the back depending on the time of the year and they all had different strengths it's like this guy was a ford guy and these guys were toyota guys and these guys this guy was a honda guy right so I always like going, hey, you know what? This guy's going to fly through a Honda, so let's do that. So next thing you know, we're, you know, let's say you can normally get through 15 cars a day. We're getting through 20 because I was utilizing these guys in the back's strengths to get through more vehicles, which, you know, made the company more profitable, that kind of stuff. But I was utilizing their strengths. Meanwhile, there'd be other managers that would have a completely different opinion and their opinion would be everybody should be capable of doing everything. Yes, I agree. But some people, if you force them to do stuff they don't enjoy, they lose engagement in their work. Now, it's okay to do it every once in a while because you want them to um, have challenges. It's okay to challenge your team and, and to put them into that. But I feel that if you're doing that all the time, sooner or later they hate their job. And then that negativity spreads to the rest of the team. And then if you if they hate their job enough, they just quit, <laughs> right? Yeah, and then you focus only on on getting people up to some sort of decent level instead of really building their strength. It's like yeah, we talked before before we you, you press the record button. We we talked about football, uh, and then we talked about soccer now, not not uh, American football. And I used to play football when I was a kid all the time. And and you know, if if we would have put me on 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 a on a let's say I would have been. Uh, way back close to the goalie or something like that. I wouldn't do a good job because I was never a good strategic person. I was a player. I was always on top trying to score. Uh, so so again, why why should you place me at the defense, you know, at the very, you know, because I, that would that wouldn't help the team. Uh, finding the strength as you said is is about making people at the, you know contributing to the whole team of course and of course if the other team has the ball then all of us are defenders somehow we need to help out but we have different places on the field and we should respect that you know and because we're good at it you know some people are really good left fielders well let them play left field if it's possible then and of course sometimes they need to run to the other side perhaps for some reason but that's you know occasionally so i i totally agree if you can help people thrive uh, when it comes to their strengths and then make sure that they don't uh, 
screw up basically yeah. so they still have to be on a decent level for the rest of it but but yeah give them the possibility to yeah to thrive no that's a great analogy to be honest i don't know why and i'm huge at soccer so it's it's funny that i didn't think of that analogy but it's like taking your goalkeeper and saying you're now a striker put yeah, goals yeah. in the net well no i'm I, I i'm supposed to stop the goals well Try and score a goal. You put him on for half an hour. Well, you didn't score a goal. We're pulling you off. Yeah, you're bad. You're you're, you're a really bad football player. But I'm a I'm a goalkeeper. No. I'm not a yeah. goal scorer, right? Like you know. So, you know, if you misuse your team in the wrong position, you know, you know, you know, you know, and 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 not to get into a different tangent here, but you know, I know. Uh, let's say you work from home now and you're used to being in the office and being a social butterfly and you like talking to Dave and accounting and Bob and finance and I don't know, Angela and sales or whatever. And you like having those little water cooler discussions throughout the day. And now you had to transition to working from home. How happy are you going to be? You're probably not going to be happy because you like that office environment because that's one of the things you looked forward to every single day. Right. So and it turns out that that extroverts, uh, I was, the, I, I had the impression in, be, in the beginning that extroverts will suffer most when it comes to all this remote work, but it turns out that it's actually introverts who suffer most. This was a surprise for me. Extroverts find their way; they create virtual uh, water coolers. They they contact people anyway. They they make sure to keep the relationship going. The introverts they have the biggest problem because now they don't have. A, a natural place to meet people they have to make an effort and they don't do that perhaps and then they feel more isolated instead uh, so that's that's a whole other field you're right that's a whole other field we can talk about that spent yeah. a lot of time on, <laughs> on both hybrid and, and remote uh, because my clients asked me to do that but that's uh, well i know you yeah, had that's, that's one, one of your of questions this. right so i thought you know <laughs> <laughs> But no, yeah, but I will say one thing if I can, if I if I have a yeah, chance. Yeah, go to, ahead. That is again going back into you know what happens if you give great service or bad service. In, in my book, you, you get two type of clients, uh, and both of them are are new and old clients. But if if you have great customer service, you will create ambassadors, and those are the old clients. They 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 existing. They they stay with you. They stick with you. They want. They defend you. They help you. They they are the one recommending you to their new to the new clients. So the new clients are, are sold not by you, but by ambassadors. But if you have bad service, then you will have to buy new clients. You, have, you will have to always have new um, things on sale or, or uh, try us for three months or for free. You don't give any of those incentives to your ex existing clients. You don't care about the existing clients. You just try to get new clients all the time. And the existing clients are probably pretty bitter so, so now you have the bought ones and the bitter ones, and they will not help you. While if you have good service, again, you have the ambassadors who helps you be, you know, helps you sell basically. So there's only things to win to have a good relationship with your clients. There's, there's no, you know, negative side effect by having a good relationship with a client. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Do you have any final remarks or comments or anything you'd like to bring up to our listeners? 
that will probably be that the way you treat, I think I said it before as well, the way you treat each other, the way, the way you meet, greet and treat each other internally will have a direct effect on how you meet, greet and treat your clients externally. So take it seriously. That's awesome. Thanks a lot for coming on. This is this is great. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Focus on Customer Experience podcast. podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with Ben, check out Benjamin Del Grosso on LinkedIn at SafeDrive Solutions on Instagram or www.safedrivesolutions.ca online. We'll see you next time.